I've been driving all night and all day. And uh, I've been driving for 15 hours in total. It seemed like 12 of them have been up that mountain. The road was narrow. It was, it was so black that it seemed as if someone had placed a tarp over the car. And I was just kind of driving blind. The warnings for, for crossing deer and elk were this constant companion, as were the animals that they warned me of. And the curves around the mountain made any attempt at speed impossible. My highest speed was, was 40, and it had been for at least two hours. The night air had this chill, and the heater was on. I was tired. I was frustrated. I just wanted to find a spot to pull over and take a nap. I found myself distracted in my thoughts and the glow of the radio, only really half watching the road. And the temperature outside suddenly dropped 25 degrees in, in what would seem like an instant. And so it got so, got so cold that I could feel it through the windows suddenly. And a quick check of my car's thermometer confirmed the temperature was no longer 35, but it was 12. As I looked up in that moment, the car entered an opening at the top of the mountain. And... Uh, all around me, snow blanketed the ground. Fifteen hours earlier, I had left home in Texas, and it was 98 degrees. The peaks at the edge of this summit looked like fingers on the outside of the palms standing there. This rich midnight blue sky was alive with a twinkle of the stars and the moon. It was there in that moment that Although Carrie was asleep beside me, I, I knew better than to wake her. This, this, this was a moment for he and I alone. This moment when everything else was still. And the sky was so close that you could touch it. A moment when I knew I was sitting in the palm of his hand. In that instant, I had a resurrection moment. Is what, what, what is a resurrection moment? A resurrection moment really is... A moment where God speaks to someone in a tangible way. It gives credence to your biggest hope and renews your faith. It feeds your soul. It allows you to know that God is who He says He is and He is still on His throne. Those moments that confirm everything that you believe about the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's those resurrection moments that let us know that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. These are the types of moments experienced by the people on that first Easter Sunday. This morning, I, we're going to quickly look at those stories and how the incidents affected those people's lives, and at the end, talk about what it means for us today. So, before we even read Scripture this morning, let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel with the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, Thank you for loving us. And we ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said. Our first resurrection moment, our first encounter on that Easter Sunday morning we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 16. I can give all sorts of background information, but we know the events leading up. We know what has happened in the past three days. We know what has gone on. And so we find there in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1, this account of the Marys. The ones that we're going to call the faithful few. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so they could go and anoint him. 
Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. Go see the place where they put him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So they went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. These women, they were the only ones that were the constant companion of Jesus up until the moment that stone was rolled into place. They never walked away. They watched from a distance. They knew where he was buried. They, they, had, they had gotten together the thing they needed to do so they could go and take care of what needed to be taken care of. They're walking along. They've bought spices. They have everything they need to treat his body and do what needs to be done because they knew that Joseph hadn't had time. It was very hasty. It was very quick. They knew that he needed to be prepared regularly. They needed some normalcy here. And so here they are just kind of Walking along, all the time wondering who's going to roll the stone away? Who's going to tell the guards that it's okay for the stone to be rolled away? How is this, how is this going to work? They're, they're caught up, they're nervous. The logistics of how they're going to accomplish their task are in their minds. They still believed in God. They had seen miracles, but life was... It was different. Jesus was dead. And they had to figure out how to take care of his remains. But then, the stone's gone. The soldiers aren't there. And they walk into the tomb, and Jesus is not there. He's, he's gone. Instead, they, they, they find an angel, a young man, it says, sitting there, where his body had been, and dazzling white clothes. And he says, don't be afraid. He's risen. Go and tell the disciples. But they said nothing because they were terrified. They just knew one thing. The tomb was in. How many of us relate to these ladies? Our spiritual lives maybe haven't turned out like we thought. Someone or something in the church has let us down. We, we feel rejected. We believe in God. We still have faith. But it's maybe the faith of habit. We do what is right. We keep the body prepared. We pray, we study, we go to church. But the faith is kind of quit living. We've quit striving to do the impossible and now focused on the everyday. We want to know who we are going to get to roll away our stone. And our stone could be lots of different things. Maybe our stone for us is who is going to grow our church. Who's going to build our budget. Who's going to open that door for me. Who's going to give me the things that I need. We have these stones and, and we look at these stones and we wonder about those things and and we get so obsessed on those things. And rather than seeing that all things are possible with God, 
We do the only thing that we can manage. What will your resurrection moment need to look like? An angel? Something miraculous? Something that will assure you that nothing is impossible? Because for the faithful few, a resurrection moment must remind them that nothing is impossible with God. The faithful few are those who do what you need to do regardless, because that's what I've always done. I have a dear friend who, she's, they're struggling because they're in this church that isn't the church they want it to be, but it's their church. And they told me, I don't care if it's just me and the pastor, I'm going to be there because it's my church. And sometimes it's easy to get stuck in that mentality, right? I go because I go because it's my church. I do what I do because it's what I've always done. I read my Bible, but it doesn't penetrate. I say my prayers at bedtime and when I eat, but I don't really talk to God. We find ourselves there. For the faithful few, that resurrection moment must remind them that nothing is impossible with God. That God has nothing in this world that He can't do. And He can change everything. And He can take everything. This morning... I posted our Bible reading for the day. It was, He is risen. He is not here. Because honestly, Jesus can take our mess and make it a message. He can take our test and make it a testimony. He can take our trial and put us into triumph. He can take a victim and make them victorious. Nothing is impossible to God. That's, that's the faith of Jesus to Mary's. They got there and they didn't know what to do because, man, this was blowing their minds. But they knew the tomb was empty. You have another group, though, over in Matthew 28, starting there in verse 11. Two groups, actually, but the first group there in verse 11 says, As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And after the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, His disciples came during the night and stole it while you were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. The soldiers, the unbelieving skeptics, they were Romans. They believed in many gods. They didn't believe in the one God. They didn't believe in the God of the Jews. They weren't believers. They simply had a job to do. Nothing but the facts, ma'am. I'm just here to guard the tomb. I'm not here for any other reason. I'm here to keep people out. And then, can you imagine being an unbelieving skeptic who is guarding this tomb because it's a dude you watched die on the cross. Ain't nothing going to happen. And then that morning there is lightning. There is an earthquake. The stone rolls away. And when you look inside, the dude is gone. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what overcame them in that moment? They were looking for an explanation. I didn't go anywhere. I stood at my post. I did my job. I did what I was supposed to do. And he's still gone. And they go into town to look for someone to tell them what's going on. They didn't go to their boss. They didn't go to the person in charge of them. They went to the chief priest. Because if anybody's going to know what's going on, it's got to be these religious dudes. They have got to know what's going on. And they say, well, what? Hold on a minute. And they go have a little deacon feed in the corner. <laughs> and they come back and say, here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to give you a whole bunch of money. And you're going to keep your mouth shut. And if anybody asks you anything about it, you're going to say to them that during the night, his disciples came in and stole his body while we were sleeping. What sense does that make? Trained soldiers. Because Roman soldiers, it's, it's not like our military. They don't go through a few weeks of boot, 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 yeah, boot camp. They begin as a young lad training for this. They put in lots of years. These guys are guarding the tomb. These are going to be some of the best of the best that are there. And so the disciples snuck in and stole the body. Uh, so untrained men, fishermen, tax collectors, and others, either overpowered these trained soldiers or they fell asleep. If you fell asleep on your post in Rome, you get put to death. Of course, they say, well, don't worry about it. We'll smooth it over with the governor. Really? You can't keep that guy in the grave. Uh, but they, they took the money. They took it. They're looking for something. They're looking. The social resurrection moment simply brought confusion because they had no one to explain it. How many unbelievers have resurrection moments and have no one to explain it? We're to be going and making. Maybe they are explained by the wrong person. That's what happened here, right? What happened? He's gone. Well, this is what happened. You must have fallen asleep. And the disciples came and took the That's what you're going to say. They didn't give him an explanation. They just gave him money. <laughs> the soldiers knew one thing. The tomb was empty. You know, unbelieving skeptics need an explanation for the unexplained. I got in an argument with my family one time. Well, with some family. Because we were talking about theology. And they got mad at me because I said that I had made a comment during a Bible study that the story of Jesus and the resurrection doesn't make logical sense. Well, you shouldn't say that. Well, it's true. To the logical mind, we look at it and we go, He died and he came back to life. That doesn't happen. He must have been asleep. People have been doing it for years. He just passed out. He was just asleep. He wasn't really dead. People have been looking for ways to make this make sense for 2,000 years. And when an unbelieving skeptic comes upon the things that God is doing, they need an explanation. When people see the things that God has done, they'll understand they're ready for answers that Easter brings. They're ready to hear that no, this wasn't an act that happened just out of nowhere. See, Oh, I shouldn't go off into this. Oh. It takes more faith for me to believe than that this expanse that we had nothingness before the world happened, that two particles the size of nothing that I can see with my naked eye that I didn't have the equipment to see until about 40 years ago. In the great space of that, somehow, accidentally, along the way, hit each other and created all this. But unbelieving skeptics believe that. How much easier is it to believe that there is a God who said, let there be light? And there was light. And when they come to something they can't understand, they are ready for an explanation that makes sense. 
And so here you have the soldiers who were unbelievably skeptics, but also you have the chief priests, the religious know-it-alls. You have to turn your hearing aids down, I guess, right now. It's, I don't know if I know. You or maybe not. I don't know. Chief priests, the religious people. Their worst fear has just come true. Can you imagine the chief priests over those three days? We think the disciples were stressed out. The chief priests had to have been stressed out. Um, huh. let's, let's guard the tomb. Let's seal the tomb. Um, let's do everything we can do. Because if this gets out, this is going to ruin us. Their, their worst fear has just come true. They are eyewitness, they're eyewitness accounts here that the tomb is empty. And it's not just his followers. What they were thinking was, well, his followers are going to say the tomb is empty, but it's not really empty, and we can prove that it's not empty. We can prove it. But the soldiers came back. <laughs> the tomb's empty. We were standing there. We were standing there, guarding the tomb. There was an earthquake. And suddenly, boom, it was there, and this angel there said, hey, well, I'm Gabriel, who are you? <laughs> I came to let him out. Man, they're freaking out, and they go back and they talk to him. And they say, did he stop there? They don't know what to do, so what do they do? Well, they agree that the green, the tomb is empty, right? Because they pay the soldiers off. You don't pay somebody off for something you know isn't right. They agree that the tomb is empty, but yet they deny the truth. How hard is that? How hard is it to have to be right and in control so badly that you'll risk going to hell? Their resurrection moment brought fear and confusion and denial. Resurrection moments often challenge the beliefs of church people. I always found it easier when I started my undergrad that I wasn't raised in church. And y'all are looking at me and go, what? I found it easier that I wasn't raised in church. I came to Jesus. I was told about Jesus very mentally when I was a little child. And I went to church a little bit on a bus. But I didn't go to church with my family, ever. And when I came to know Jesus at 16 or at 15, and I started ministry at 16, everything changed. And so when I went to my undergrad classes, and I would walk into class, and my professor would say something, and he would lay out all this stuff in the Bible, and I'd go, that makes sense. I had friends in class who were raised in church who would go, no! That can't be! The more they studied, they would say, oh, okay. Because sometimes we hold on to things we don't need to hold on to. Sometimes there are things that, that we think this must be, and, and sometimes God say, well, you know, maybe not. You know. How many wives did were there? Yeah, somebody said three. Why do we say three? Because that's what we've always said. They brought three gifts, but there could have been 7,000 wise men who brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They could have had holly bushes with them too. I don't know. We just know the three because they make they were important for the story. But we hold on to things sometimes. And so sometimes for, for those people, it really challenges their beliefs. It, it steps on their toes and it makes them really question some things. But then you have one final passage in the book of John, starting in verse 2. Mary Magdalene has just gone to the tomb. 
And she saw that the stone had been removed. And it says, So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, the one Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken the Lord of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. That Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, and yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw and believed. For they did still not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. Peter and the beloved disciple, who I'm terming the religious skeptics. That morning, I don't think they were going to the tomb to verify that Jesus was alive. They were going to the tomb to verify that he was dead. His body had to be there somewhere. They ran to the tomb. They weren't trying to prove the resurrection. They were trying to actually disprove it. I'm sure this is Peter. Remember a few days earlier in the garden, he had drawn his sword and cut off a dude's ear. They were in a fighting mood. Somebody had taken Jesus' body. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. So, so they were running there. Someone had taken it. Where is it? And the disciple of his love, he was evidently on the track team. Because he ran faster than Peter. And he got there first. And he bent down and he looked in. But he didn't go in. He stopped. I ain't going in there. What well, was a trap? But Peter, that's Peter, foot and mouth all up, charges right into the tomb and he looks around. He sees the care that was taken when this body was moved, the folded face covering. They both saw, and one believed and one didn't, but neither understood what was going on. <coughs> Many of us relate to these two. We have to figure out how everything in the Bible works. This morning with the kids, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how that type of gum works, right? A lot of us will have a Bible. We have to figure out all the words. But it says that he parted the Red Sea and it was dry ground. Well, how did that work? I don't care how it works. <laughs> he could have put a great big garage thing in there and blown it for all I care. I mean, I don't end up. But some of us are that way. We have to know every little thing. We have to understand it. We have to figure it out. We need to know the science behind it. And we forget sometimes that science has questions that it can't answer. For religious skeptics, resurrection moments offer proof their faith is valid. The beloved disciple saw and he believed. He believed that Jesus had risen didn't understand it. He didn't know why. He didn't know what was going on, but he believed something was happening. Now, my favorite thing about God in his word is that he never just reveals one point of view. He knows that in any given room, there may be every type of person we've talked about this morning. And he gives their reaction to the same event. All these things have one thing in common. The only thing they knew in that moment was the tomb was empty. That's it. They didn't know anything else. We look back at this over 2,000 years of history and this much more Bible, and we go, well, obvious, obviously Jesus rose. 
All they knew was the tomb was in. They hadn't seen him yet. They didn't know. But they knew the tomb was empty. They realized on evidence alone, this isn't Jesus appearing. They see the evidence of God and realize the truth of resurrection. As we walk here today, no matter which group you fall into, we have to remember three things. First, the resurrection is real. It's real. It's not imagined. It's not a story. It's not a parable. It doesn't describe, it doesn't describe a philosophical contact that makes us feel better. It's real. Even the, even the priests believed it. Even the priests said, oh my goodness, we have to pay them off because he came back from the dead. The body is gone. Even the priests believed it. The resurrection is real. But also the resurrection is necessary. It is necessary. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. It doesn't matter that he died on the cross if he didn't rise three days later. It doesn't matter what sacrifice he gave if he didn't come back. Because anybody can die, but only God can come back. Amen. That's what matters, is that this is necessary for our salvation. Jesus had to come back from the dead. If he didn't, Paul says our faith is without foundation. We're wasting our time if he didn't get raised from the dead. I could be at home watching something on TV, eating some good food, and not be here because it wouldn't matter. But that's not what happened. The resurrection is real. And it's necessary to our faith. And it also has power for today. The resurrection has power for today. We talk about Easter as if we're always looking back. But the resurrection doesn't stop back there. The resurrection continues today. The resurrection continues to happen. I mean, we sang about it, right? Mm -hmm. When death was arrested and my life began. Every time someone walks the aisle, every time someone falls on their face and cries out to Jesus and says, I want to follow you, forgive my sins. Every time someone becomes a new believer, new life begins, resurrection happens. They put to death one man and they are raised another. The resurrection has power for today. It can resurrect your dreams. It can resurrect everything. No matter what your life is, no matter what's going on, you can have that power today. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't come and rise from the grave just so we could once a year put on our good clothes and come to church and sing songs and talk about eggs. He came and he died on the cross and he rose three days later so that we could have salvation in his name and live a changed life and have the power of resurrection in our daily life. That's why I came. If we are living defeated lives, it's not because we don't have the power of the resurrection, it's because we don't live it. I was going to use another word. But that's how we just don't live it. Because God will resurrect it. He'll resurrect your dream. He'll resurrect your vision. He'll resurrect the things in your life that need to be resurrected. I would be remiss not to warn that there is a second side of that, though. He will also put to death those things that don't need to be there. 
for a resurrection to happen, a death must occur. Um, too often we want the resurrection without the death too often we want God to resurrect something in our lives but we don't want to put to death those things he's telling us to put to death God I want you I want you to resurrect I want you to resurrect my finances but I'm not going to put to death my wasteful spirit God, I, I, want you to, I want you to resurrect my relationship with my children, but I'm not going to put to death the attitude that I have when I talk to them. God, I want you to resurrect my marriage, but I'm not going to put all those selfish things that I want to do to death in order to resurrect it. God can resurrect anything. Nothing's impossible. And that's the Easter message for us today. Not just salvation going to heaven, but that our lives can be changed. That God can resurrect things we never imagined because nothing is impossible with God. Maybe this morning. Maybe you have been one of the four groups we talked about. Maybe you've been the faithful few. And you've been going through the motions. Go to church. Give my money. Read my Bible. But it's just been habit. And this morning you want to say, Jesus, I want more. Now's the time. Maybe this morning you've been an unbelieving skeptic. Maybe somebody in this room is that person. You've been listening about Jesus and hearing all these things, but you just never really believed it because, well, does it make any sense? Well, let me tell you, the resurrection is real. The proof of the Bible tells us that. And I know that you think that's just your opinion, but it's not because the Gospels are the written testimony, the accounts, eyewitness accounts of four different people, and they all agree. If I go to court, if I have four people and tell me they saw the same thing, guess what happens? They're guilty. The resurrection is real. If you're an unbelieving skeptic, I'm telling you this morning, I had the answer to your questions. His name is Jesus. Maybe this morning you're a religious know-it-all. <laughs> Let go of your pride. Let go of the self-righteousness. And say, Jesus, I'm ready to go wherever you want to lead me. Maybe this morning you're with the religious skeptic and you've been looking for all the answers and you've been one of those who said, I just can't believe until I know everything. You're never going to know everything. Ever. Now's the time to say, I don't need to know everything. I just need to know that next step. Hey, this morning you want to pray, the altar's open, I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender missions or ministry, maybe you want to join this church of membership. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus out of your sake. Maybe you never known the one who came to earth, who walked the sinless life, who died and took your sins and was risen three days later so that you could have new life. Now's the time. You walk the audience of Brother Troy. I want to know Jesus. It's not hard. I'm not going to make you, you know, do a song and answer anything. You're just going to come down. We're going to talk about it. We're going to go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.